Hey everyone, it's Marvin. Uh, thanks again for tuning into the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, Jess Han and myself are still on hiatus this week as we're all still in Europe. Um, we just attended Jess's wedding and I'm sure we'll be talking all about that next time we get together for a proper episode. But for the time being, we wanted to uh, share another new show from the Potluck Podcast Collective. Um, this time it's Golden Hour with Charlene Kay, our newest show, which is a podcast that celebrates Asian creativity in music. Uh, Golden Hour just launched their third season uh, with us at the Potluck Collective. So if you like what you hear, uh, please give them a subscribe and check out their show. But yeah, please enjoy Golden Hour with Charlene Kay. You're listening to Potluck Welcome back to season three of Golden Hour, a podcast celebrating Asian musicians. I'm your host, Charlene Kay. And I'm Dave Yim. This is so exciting, Dave. Dave, what's up? How are you? How have you been? Tell us what's been going on. Yes, we are in season three of the podcast. We've been off the air, but we've been very busy um, getting things ready for season three. One of the uh, big updates we have, you might have heard a little jingle at the beginning of this episode. That's because we have joined the Potluck Podcast Collective, uh, which we're super happy about. This is a collective of independent Asian American podcasters highlighting the stories, voices, and perspectives of the Asian diaspora. So obviously, we were super stoked to be part of this because um, that's what we're doing just through a yeah. music lens there's a ton of different shows about current events pop culture history books uh, i think there's one about all the asians on star trek um so you know broad stuff niche stuff all of your asian stuff um you'll hear some snippets from some of the shows uh in the middle of these episodes so you can get a taste of who else is in the uh in the collective um, so yeah, we're super happy to be a part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Thank you guys for having us. Um, and we also are just coming off of our third Golden Hour Fest uh, in Brooklyn. Tell us about that, Charlene. Oh my gosh, I'm not recovered from it yet. We spent the whole summer planning this festival. It was going to be outside and then a tropical storm hit New York. So we moved the whole thing inside. Um, we've done three in the span of a year and a half, um, but this one was the best one yet. I'm so happy with how it went. Our secret special guest headliner was Michelle, which was extremely hard to keep a secret. Um, and it was so exciting to see the looks on everybody's faces when they came out because they have been so buzzy lately. They just played Lollapalooza and it was really exciting to, as a previous podcast guest to have them be in the flesh and to be able to celebrate with them. Mm -hmm. We also had Juicy Lou, which is just by itself the best drag name that I've ever heard. Juicy Lou crushed it. She had the audience, the palm of her hand, so funny. Yes, incorporated stand-up moments from Margaret Cho and Ali Wong and like made them very theatrical and interactive. She was in the crowd the whole time and was just outrageous. It was it was mind-blowing. We also had the debut performance of Saffron Lips, uh, who is fronted by Stephanie Park, who was the second ever guest 
on Golden Hour back in season one. That was three years ago. No, crazy. that was no. It's two years ago. <laughs> okay, I was like, that's I'm accelerating right. time on us. Um, <laughs> yes, no, uh, but that was awesome. They crushed it. Um, and yeah, you can check out Michelle's episode uh, from season two, which was I think came out earlier this year. Um, great fest, had a ball as we always do, and we were selling merch there. And yes, we were. if you would like to get more merch and weren't mm-hmm. able to make it, we are selling it on our website, which is goldenhourpod.com. When I listen, I have been putting my entire blood, sweat, and tears into this website and into all the merch. I'm so proud of it. I think it's some of the coolest shit I've ever made. The main, the sweater that I've created is a dragon that is shredding and melting the microphone with his fiery breath as it's he's so singing. It's so metal. It's so or metal. Or she. Maybe it's a non-binary dragon. We don't they. know. They, yes. <laughs> Genderless dragon. Yes. It's, I'm, I'm just stoked about it. And everyone that I've seen wearing it at the festival looked so cute. And I'm just really proud to have it out in the world. So if you would like to look as cool and support the podcast, you can go to goldenhourpod.com. And if you're here listening, we love you so much that we're going to give you a little discount. It's going to be a 10% discount on the merch. And the code is going to be AZN2023. That's the letters A, the letter Z, the letter N, 2023. Get your 10%. We got sweaters. We got hats. We got t-shirts. We got mugs. I'm going to put yes. them in the mail if you order them. Yes. Help support the pod. It's fall, so you're going to want those beanies and sweaters like ASAP. Sipping some hot tea, wearing your yes. sweater. Oh, you're going to look so cute. In your mug. It's cuffing season. With your hat. You're not going to be able to keep the honeys away. <laughs> we were recently on Asian Not Asian podcast with another buddy of ours, Mike Wynn. They have a really cute segment on their podcast called Fit Checks. Where they like talk about what they're wearing and it's, they ask their guest what they're wearing and in, in like a non creepy way. It's just very cute. And we were like, what's a segment that we could have on our podcast that would be cute? So we were thinking we wanted to maybe elevate uh, an Asian American, an Asian person who's been in the news, who's been making waves. So we were still workshopping the name of this segment. Um, but my wife, Deb, came up with the term uh, golden shower. <laughs> Where we will shower uh, this person with praise. Um, Not pee on them. (laughs) But of course, the implication is there. Uh, So we're still workshopping that name. If you guys have any ideas uh, of what this segment to be called, we would love to hear your thoughts. Please, just give us a better name than Golden Shower. Golden Shower will be hard to beat. Um, (laughs) We might be stuck with it now. Now that we've said it, yeah. So Charlene, who is your uh, Golden Shower recipient of the month? Oh my God. Okay. One special Asian I've been thinking about a lot recently is Olivia Rodrigo. New album. Her new album. She doesn't need any promo, but her new album, (laughs) Guts. I just love it. It's like so Riot Girl. Like she's obviously so influenced by bands that I love, like the Breeders. And like it's she, she's getting newer inspirations from more current bands like Wet Leg and I love all like the talky stuff that she's doing. I think she's such a brilliant artist and songwriter. Um, And the intro, the beginning, the opening track of the album 
is this song called All American Bitch, which I can't stop thinking about. And it has these lyrics that I really relate to as an Asian woman where the verses are very, um, it's almost like a like a chorale where you can imagine people like putting their hands in a prayer and it's very like major acoustic guitar picked and the lyrics are like, I'm grateful all the time. And then in the courses, it just explodes into this like bratty anger of being put into these boxes of like what women are meant to be in society. And I just, she's so young and I really related to it and you're just doing great, honey. So just like, keep going. You're the recipient of my golden shower. It's an excellent album. Uh, I haven't dug into it too much yet, but I I gave it one listen through. I'm excited to keep digging into it. So congratulations, Olivia. You are the recipient of this month's golden shower. Golden shower. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it rhymes with golden hour. Like, it's It's kind of perfect. Um, Dan is a hot genius. So Charlene, our guest today, you interviewed back in April. They're a new, very buzzy artist who goes by the name Miss Grit, uh, whose uh, given name is Margaret Son. Uh, Tell me about your conversation with them. Yes, I've had my eye on Miss Grit for a long time. Their music caught my ear because they have such a distinct guitar playing style. And I'm always looking for other femme presenting and non-binary Asian shredders. And they've spent the past year touring, opening for artists like Bartiz Strange and Nation of Language. They've been playing every major music festival. Their album has topped year-end lists by everyone from NPR to Rolling Stone. In this conversation, we really bonded particularly over our mutual love of St. Vincent, who Margaret says was the reason they bought a guitar. You can hear shades of St. Vincent in their music, particularly because what struck me about their music was this very larger-than-life orchestral kind of cinematic quality that centers around themes of technology, AI, and what it actually means to be a human or a sentient being on this earth. Their latest album, Follow the Cyborg, tells all of these stories interwoven with very tasteful, beautiful guitar playing. And The album explores a lot of these ideas lyrically, which Margaret says relates to how she feels about her own queer identity and how it can, like a cyborg, feel kind of other or alien at times. But that certainly wasn't the case with our conversation. We hit it off like a house on fire. We're just talking about pedals and shredding, and it feels feels so good to, to meet a kindred spirit like this. So I'm just very excited about this conversation, and I'm honored to share their talent with you. Here's a clip of Miss Grit's song, Follow the Cyborg. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Margaret Son, a.k.a. Miss Grit. Margaret, it is so wonderful to have you on the podcast. I've been wanting to interview you for about a year, which is crazy. And I'm so glad that we were finally able to make this happen. How are you? Where are you? Tell me how your overall emotional state is right now. I'm so good. I'm just really, really happy to be here talking to you. It's been, yeah, it's been a long time in the process. So like, it's so, I'm very, very honored. Um, I'm right now in uh, Manchester in the United Kingdom. Um, And on an off day, have a couple more shows with um, supporting Barty Strange right now. Uh, And yeah, it's been a really good time. (laughs) 
Oh, yes. Tell me how the tour is going. How long are you out for? What have some of your favorite shows been? Yeah, I've been out for about like a week now. We had, I think I've kind of like lost track of the days a bit, but I think we've had five shows maybe. Um, we've hit Southampton, London, uh, Glasgow, Nottingham, and then Manchester last night. Um, but it's been yeah, it's been really crazy. I haven't played really this many consecutive shows like ever. So I'm I'm getting so many like good practices under my belt and it feels really good to like be able to uh, feel a bit more secure in my live set because that's always been something that's like happened so sporadically that I haven't had the time yet to really feel comfortable or like have fun playing. So um, yeah, it's been it's been a really nice experience. Definitely. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, I can imagine that it's like a muscle, right? Every night. You yeah. kind of discover this. You discover something new within that structure. I I, I do miss that about touring. I remember mm. feeling like I don't feel like this now. But when I was touring a lot with San Fermin, I was like, my voice sounds great. And like I've been in this like <laughs> groove of like hitting the pocket of taking care of myself in the ways that I need to when you're living out of a van, mm. and it really is such a unique experience that touring musicians have because we're partly in survival mode all the time. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. my friend Ellis put it best. He was like, for 90% of the day, you're like half dead. And then for 10% of the day, you're like more alive than you've ever been. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I totally feel that. It's a, it's a kind of sad, torturous like way to live. But it, I yeah. think the pros outweigh the cons. Yes, yes. What, what were your favorite road <laughs> snacks? Oh, okay. So something I did this trip that was like a total like I'm going to do it again, definitely. Um, once we got into Southampton, I hit up the, uh, it was called the Oriental store that I went to. So <laughs> I went to go buy some, some. Uh, I think, I'm pretty sure there are Vietnamese rice rice cracker cake things. Um, they Did it have the, the racist chopstick font? No, it actually didn't. Like this was like a legit like Vietnamese store, but it was called like Oriental store. So I guess it's like pretty i don't know Great. different over here but um but yeah, yeah it was uh it was a uh, it was a really good road snack because i didn't feel like gross after eating it you know so i, I felt like yeah quenched my hunger so oh, yeah that's that, that's really important intel for touring mm -hmm. musicians listening to this yeah yeah, yeah. I, especially for me like when, when i eat at home like the healthy food that i eat is usually just like asian like healthy food you know so i don't yeah. really eat a lot of like like American healthy food, I feel like. Yeah, so it's just yeah. really important for me to like get that um, Asian grocery store run in the in the mix. So yeah. God, can you imagine if American groceries or American gas stations had Asian snacks at them? I know. I would be the healthiest person alive, honestly. Yeah. Just like some spam musubi. And, yeah, uh, totally. Oh man, it would it would be it would be so comforting. Yes. Um I'm such a big fan of yours. I've been listening to your album nonstop. I'm also a guitar player and I, I I see the ways in which you're using the instrument with your own unique voice and your own experience and also I through an Asian lens as well in addition to being a musician and a storyteller I've been so drawn to your work and I want to talk to you all about the creation behind this album and all the various influences that shaped it because you are not just someone who draws inspiration from music. You're someone who draws inspiration from film and anime mm. and pop culture at large. Um, yeah. I've, I've, I'm sure you get this all the time, but I, I hear shades of St. Vincent and Bjork mm -hmm. and lots of other pioneers that 
that storytell in a way that kind of incorporates technology into mm. their music. Um, so let's let's start at the beginning. I I want to get into your album, your fantastic new album called Follow the Cyborg. But let's go back a little bit, and I'd love to hear about your upbringing and mm-hmm. your first experiences with music and how you resonated with it. Yeah, totally. So I started playing guitar when I was six years old. Um, so it was like first grade. And um, growing up, my parents were really into music. Like they always played music around the house, but neither of them were really musicians or my family doesn't really have a history of that um, besides like here and there. Um piano players or um but my dad always played like Led Zeppelin and Talking Heads and then my mm. mom always played The Cure and Fiona Apple and so those oh. were just like already like really big influences for me growing up and um I started playing acoustic guitar in uh first grade and then I started learning classical guitar um just to get in that like exercise um wow. and then um in first grade damn girl not, <laughs> once i started um i think classical guitar was in like third or fourth grade but yeah <laughs> that's incredible what what yeah. were some of your your first songs that you learned do you remember i i don't remember but like the ones that i remember learning from my first very first teacher were like Blackbird and Over the Hills and Far Away by Led Zeppelin. Yes, <laughs> and like classic. And I know, like they they sound they, like those are not like super simple, but I think I played them in a really simple way, and then I was able mm. to kind of like practice them to be a bit more complicated. So I think those were like good starter ones. Weirdly, um, yes. But yeah, I started uh, getting really into like St. Vincent, of course, in uh, yeah. like fifth grade and middle school. My um, I had an uncle who put um, a bunch of like 2000s indie rock artists from New York like on a, a little thumb drive and gave it to me. And I got totally taken away by that scene. And um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny to, to like talking. Yeah, I know. It's funny talking to you about this because I feel like so connected to like your guitar playing and like the way that you emote through your guitar. I feel like <gasps> such a like we, we, we see like a maybe we have similar. Um, yeah, we speak like, the same language. Like, yeah, totally. Yes. Uh, I feel like we could just geek out about St. Vincent. <laughs> I know. What, I know. What, when, <laughs> what, what concerts have you seen and what's your what's your favorite album of hers slash yeah. song slash sound? Yeah. Well, I think my favorite song from her is now now because that was like the first song yes. I've ever heard. And I think that like that's the one that like really opened the doors. I really hear that in your music. Oh, cool. It's like the first yeah, track on the first album. Yeah, yeah. It is the first one that I heard. Yeah. And like, it just like blew the doors wide open for me. Cause it like, I think for me as someone who was like listening to like the Jonas Brothers at that time, like hearing. <laughs> also important. <laughs> I, also also important, important. But like, that was like a good song to get me out of like that boy band phase or paramore phase, <laughs> which also I still stayed in and like have total respect for but um yeah. yeah it was a it was a good like little departure for me and I uh yeah my favorite album I think is Strange Mercy definitely yeah. um mm-hmm. just like some of those like ballads on there are just like beautiful um and I've seen her I think uh 
Weirdly, I've only seen her, I think, two times. Um, I saw her when she was doing the piano solo thing of Mass Seduction. Oh, cool. Yeah, which was beautiful. And oh. then um, I saw her uh, Mass Seduction tour at King's Theater, which was cool. also amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> she's, she's amazing. I, yeah, she changed my life. Definitely. Yeah, for real. Like, yeah, I, remember... I basically bought a guitar because of her. Yes. Electric. I, Totally. I read I read that yeah. you that you did that and I loved it. Uh, I, I discovered her in college and I bought her record from a local record store. And I remember listening to Now Now and like mm-hmm. walking around and marveling at how orchestral it was because that was yeah, it was very of that time. But it completely holds up. And I was super into Sufjan Stevens and Rufus Wainwright mm. at the time. And they have this very maximalist, like, more is yeah. more quality about it. And totally. I just loved the way that she blended acoustic guitars in the mix with that really gnarly, like, your lips are red kind of tone. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it, I'd never heard anything like that before. It was, like, super totally cinematic that. in a way that, like, rock music... Yeah. doesn't tend to be and I think that's the beauty of queer rock music also is that it like brings mm. such a different dimension to what the patriarchal idea of like rock music is totally yeah I totally feel that I'm also curious were you in um orchestra when you were younger oh yes oh like, yes. you have a classical background right <laughs> yeah yeah because I yeah I feel that too because like something that uh, attracted me to like St. Vincent's music, Sufjan Stevens, Arcade yes. Fire was like uh-huh. that orchestral kind of like cinematic thing. And yeah, I was a cellist like growing up. Oh! So I relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I love that everyone on this show has like a, a secret nerdy Asian past. It all, it's sort of a, <laughs> an unspoken requirement. We don't require it, but it always comes out consistently. It so it out. makes perfect sense why we all connect because we all have classical music trauma. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I played piano. For okay, years. amazing. And so yes. that was my that was um, my torture method of choice back then. <laughs> so after you were after you started playing guitar, how did that develop into you writing your own music and like per- starting to perform and stuff like that? Yeah, it actually took me like a really long time to start writing music, just because it's something that I. Uh, kind of saw as like my lifelong dream or um, is yeah what I wanted to do in life was to like uh, be a musician and be an artist and write songs but so with that I kind of like put a lot of pressure on myself and um, I put off songwriting until I was basically in college Um, I wrote like a few songs here and there like in high school but I was just really it I think I was too mm, like uptight or maybe like I felt too much pressure about writing music during that time. So, um, yeah, it took me a while to get into. But uh, throughout high school, I was just, like, performing in cover bands, like, yeah, 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 cover bands. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it wasn't until my sophomore year in college that I decided to try to write my own music. Um, and before then, too, I was just playing guitar in, like, other people's bands and just happy, you know, to be uh, playing music in general. So, um yeah, it was kind of, I guess, a, a slow, slow beginning, but um, I, yeah, value that that time yeah. I took. Being a guitar player first, did it, what, did it take you a minute to start to write lyrics and melodies or was that already there and then it took, it just took a minute to have the confidence to put it out there with the guitar playing? I feel like it really was the lyrics that um, have always 
uh, slowed me down a lot uh, or given me the most like anxiety, I think, just because mm-hmm. I've never been super great uh, like with words. I feel like I had a lot of social anxiety growing up and just like followed me into college. And um, I think j- just committing to um, vocalizing like a certain thing felt really scary for me. So um yeah, I think I think that was the biggest thing that was uh, giving me yeah. a hard time. But yeah, yeah, I I ask because it took me a long time, and I wonder if you can relate to this, to embrace my storytelling aspect. In addition to being a good guitar player, and I have mm. had, I think women and non-binary people have such a a unique journey of squaring being technically good in a climate that prioritizes the male gaze. And so mm-hmm. I was always trying to prove myself. Mm-hmm. There was a period of time where I first started performing where I was like, I want as much respect as any male guitar player. And I mm-hmm. overcompensated with my technical mm-hmm. ability. And mm-hmm. I made it more about hiding behind mm-hmm. the guitar instead of wanting to tell my story and like talk about how Mm -hmm. I really felt. And so it took me years until I was like, honestly in my thirties to be like, okay, this, they can all exist together. Yeah. That's so interesting. Cause I like definitely felt the exact same way, like going to school for music technology and like being with the bros and stuff. I feel like I often had to like compensate for that. And like, I feel like I felt myself, um, kind of manipulating how I projected myself or uh, emoted to kind of fit in with like the crowd, I guess, or not be looked at um, as weaker or anything. And so Mm. um, definitely like finding my like most authentic voice that I want to like, uh, you know, speak in order to reflect myself accurately. That was like a huge, yeah. I, I feel like I still am like figuring it out, but it's just like, um, yeah, being a non-binary person or feminine music is just about, yeah, figuring out, like, what is at your core that you can express, like, freely and not be worried about all these yeah. things that you've learned, like, throughout, yeah. like, growing as a musician and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that kind of we talked to Tao Win about this in our interview with mm-hmm. her, but she was like being queer kind of puts you outside of all of that, which is a beautiful thing. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she was like, you're no longer like in the traditional structure of what it means to be a woman in society. Like you can kind of Mm -hmm. make your own rules, which I think is awesome and really No, that's so true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so, so true. Because when I was like over the pandemic is when I um, like decided to change my pronouns and stuff. And that was a really like liberating process. Cause I was all of a sudden like, Oh my God, I, I don't have to uh, like be this specific person that I thought I was like supposed to be. So, I, and then I could have the like freedom to just express myself however I wanted to and stuff. So yeah, I totally agree with that sentiment. Yeah. Tell me about your, your experience majoring in music technology. What does that mean? Yeah. And is it engineering yeah. or like what, <laughs> what, what gravitated yeah. you towards that and how did it inform your, your writing? Yeah. Well, I, I actually applied to NYU for music composition and I did my first semester for music composition, but then 
I had always had in my mind that I wanted to do music tech, but it's funny. I like when I was applying to NYU, I was like, oh, there's no way I'm going to get accepted for music tech because I don't have any skill set yet for that. And like, I, just, I think I just was like belittling, belittling myself to like think that I couldn't do it yet. Um, but yeah, and then I decided to switch over because I was like, yeah, this is cool. This is what I want to do. And it's um, yeah, music, the music tech major is kind of like an umbrella um, major where people can study like um analog recording or digital recording, um, production techniques or uh, audio for video or audio for video games. Um, there's also like um, different, like like learning um, different music softwares like Max MSP and stuff and mm -hmm. kind of getting slightly into like coding. And um, yeah, one of the yeah. one of the things I was really interested in was um, their analog electronic courses, which um, were kind of like building circuits on breadboards and then um, making like oscillators from them or um, oh like guitar God. pedals. <gasps> yeah. So I was like really, really into that. Um, and that was kind of like what I was hoping to like graduate for and like um, then like do like work for a pedal company. But then I dropped out <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> didn't finish the degree, but yeah. Oh. Oh my God. I mean, you still can create a bread pedal. That would be sick. Yeah, true. <laughs> After, so you started to write music. You dropped out of college. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How, so, and how, how did things go after that? You, you when did you start Miss Grit and put, put your intention into building that? Yeah. I started it my sophomore year of college and then, um, was releasing things and um I think I just like felt like I was better to spend my time um just trying to yeah focus on creating this project um instead of like get finishing my degree which I had like just silly like uh core classes that I needed to finish but um yeah I just really wanted to go for it and like I yeah, I just I just saw the the opening to kind of like just take myself out of school and um yeah, really focus on figuring out what it was that I wanted to communicate like through my art and um I was like very privileged that I like was able to do that and um yeah, I ended up releasing a couple EPs and then uh yeah, this past year releasing my album, so yes, it's been yes. it's been a fun a fun little ride. <laughs> yes. Um, and the mandatory question for this Asian podcast is, how did your parents yes. feel about you dropping out of school? <laughs> Weirdly, like, honestly, they're so super uh, supportive, like super, super oh, supportive. Yeah. Amazing. Um, I think like, yeah, growing up, it was like, I, I wasn't sure where, where I stood, like with mm -hmm. wanting to like pursue music, um, just because of like definitely the stereotypes and like how, how, um, like money was like tight, of course, like at some point during those like couple of hard years, like in the 2000s. Um, but I, yeah, I was really like, like moved that my parents were actually very supportive because it, it kind of felt like they, they saw um, like something important in me and like it, it felt really nice that they were genuinely like, yeah, you, you should, um, yeah, go ahead and <laughs> do this thing. That's awesome. Yeah. And it seems like it's paid off so much. I, I feel like you're one of the buzziest artists that I've encountered. You've been in the press oh, really? so much about your new <laughs> album, Follow the Cyborg. And we were talking earlier about this 
aspect of your storytelling coming after your guitar playing, which is so fascinating to me because I feel like a core part of this album cycle is this world that you've created. Mm. And it feels like um, a movie or something within itself because it is a concept album. Yeah. 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 Can you talk about that? Yeah, totally. I, I grew up like really loving concept albums of just like, I've always loved that. And like, I got, of course, really, I was just like a hipster kid, I think. And I, I got really into like vinyl and stuff and like buying vinyl from like Urban Outfitters and stuff. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I just was really into listening to like full albums. And so like, that was just the only really way I knew to like create, I think, um, was to like think in that way. So, um, yeah, it was over the pandemic and I was starting to write a few songs. And the first song that I wrote off this record was Like You. And it had um, a different melody. It had like different lyrics, different like, um, yeah, content that it was about, uh, song content. But uh, yeah, I was really inspired by um, some of the essays that I was reading at that time. One of them, Gia Tolentino's essay, Always Be Optimizing. On, and uh, that's where I got the title also is, um, she has a quote in there. I'm going to forget what the quote is, but uh something along the lines of like uh what if we chose to follow the cyborg and um you know grasp grasp our own artificiality and turn it into something like liberating and powerful and um i think i really was moved by that sentiment because mm-hmm. I, I had grown up really loving like sci-fi movies um movies involving like cyborg protagonists, uh, especially her and uh, the movie Ex Machina and uh, Ghost in the Shell, uh, the anime, not the live action version. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, important distinction. And I was also watching a lot of anime during the pandemic too, like um, Serial Serial Experiments Lane and uh, a lot of films by Satoshi Kon and um, there's just something really powerful in those types of narratives that involve like a usually like a female like cyborg um, kind of taking their power into their own hands and liberating themselves from their creators that are oppressing them and um, also in like films like Ghost in the Shell like being able to um, move towards like a binaryless like gender expression was like really beautiful as well um and so just so much of like that narrative and the arc of the cyborg was just like so moving to me and yeah i just felt really inspired at that time to just uh yeah make it a whole thing <laughs> hi i'm marvin and i'm rira and we're the hosts of books and boba a book club and podcast dedicated to books by asian and asian american authors each month we pick a book by an asian author to read and discuss on the show we read a variety of genres including contemporary and historical fiction sci-fi and fantasy romance and cozy mysteries and so much more our past book club picks have included pachinko by minjin lee patron saints of nothing by randy ribeye grace of kings by ken Liu, and the kiss quotient by helen huang every month we also go through the latest news in asian american literature as well as chat with some awesome asian authors about their works 
So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. host the podcast Asians in Baseball alongside Naomi Ko and Scott Okamoto. Asians in Baseball is exactly what it sounds like, a podcast about the Asian and Asian Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Americans in Major League Baseball. Every week, we break down the highlights of what's going on with Asians in Baseball and then take a deeper dive into the Asian and Asian Americans past and present who have shaped baseball as it is today. Whether you're Kim Ang's number one fan or you've never even heard of Hideo Nomo, we've got something for everyone, especially for the Shohei Otani stands. Maybe too much for the Shohei Otani stands. Listen to Asians in Baseball wherever you get podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. You mentioned earlier that you changed your pronouns during the pandemic. Yeah. Which is also yeah. when you were writing this album. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was yeah, kind of weird. Did you did you feel like the writing of it informed your perception of your gender identity? Yeah, I think oftentimes when I'm writing lyrics, I come at it from like a really um idealistic way of like how I want to perceive the world and so even though um, my inner monologue isn't always like the healthiest, you know, like I'm down on myself a lot and have a lot of insecurities, of course. Um, but I think writing lyrics, I'm always trying to like, um, yeah, almost like hold myself to my own words and like make myself, uh, see myself for the things that I love about myself and everything. And, um, like figure out how I want to like, make my future out to be, I guess, or uh, my uh, future perspective of the world, I guess, or my myself even. So um, yeah, I feel like definitely I was really just in, I felt like motivated and like momentum to really grasp onto my own identity and be able to, um, I think the biggest thing for me about changing my pronouns was I, I was too scared to like ask that of some of people like I was too scared to be like you guys this is like how I want to be like referred to Mm -hmm. um and I just did of course like didn't want to take up space I didn't want like to like make things hard on someone else but very Asian um, thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah so um yeah I was just kind of like yeah I think I, I need to like hold myself with a bit more respect and uh do things that are going to make me happier. So, yeah. That's so beautiful that art can do that. Yeah. That you're creating a narrative. You're, you're writing a story based on a character that you wanted to be. And in creating that world, you built a, ver- a new version of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I, it's so weird because I, I like haven't really been able to like reflect on the album in that way yet. But like, yeah, d- like doing interviews and talking with people, it's like, yeah. it's nice to kind of be like, oh, that, that was cool. <laughs> that was nice. To, that was a nice thing to come out of the album. <laughs> yeah. I think all the time about how I look at lyrics from past works and I'm like, mm-hmm. that's really interesting that I <laughs> said it that way. I must have been going through that. Like, because lyrics are so subconscious mm-hmm. and yeah. they're, 
they almost say they almost like um describe the future in a way they give you clues mm-hmm. for your future mm-hmm. self as to how you were really feeling when you can't say it literally and yeah. so i appreciate that so much about the creative process So your song Phone Clone, I related to a lot because I, I think that this is a femme thing and also an Asian thing. We deal with imposter syndrome all the time. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like you were talking about, you didn't want to inconvenience people to mm-hmm. remember your new pronouns, which I feel so <laughs> uh, aligned with in areas of my life where I'm afraid to ask for what I want or think that I don't deserve something. And mm-hmm. you have this lyric in Phone Clone that's, hold up your hands if you can't hold up the act. Hold up your hands if your two lives overlap. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, in what ways do you confront that as a creative person? And how do you navigate that living your dream? Because you are you are a working, thriving musician and you're, you're touring all over the world. It's, it's really incredible to see. And, and yet, no matter how successful you get, there's always going to be that voice, I feel like. So how yeah, do you totally. how do you navigate that? I think I yeah, something I've been also like thinking a lot about on tour is like how like crazy the mental game of like being an artist is, I feel like. Um it just like it can really take you far away from yourself, I feel like. Um you're getting so much validation. And like not a lot of people telling you no, which is so dangerous for anyone. Like it doesn't matter like how grounded you are as a person. It's just like a weird thing. Um, and so, yeah, I've been finding myself just really trying to like um, really just like on tour connect with who I am and make sure I'm like doing things that make me happy and not necessarily things that I think I should be doing. And um, like, I don't know, I just... I'm trying to, yeah, not not like follow someone's idea, I guess, of a touring musician or a musician in general and just kind of keep keep things the way I like them, I think, and not worry about too much of like external things. Yeah. Oh, that is so wise. <laughs> yeah. And it's so and it, you're right, it is important to keep grounding with yourself when people are applauding for you every night. <laughs> and then like remember yeah. those I, I love that. And that that's that lyric to me when your two lives overlap. Yeah. Hannah Montana. Mm. <laughs> Yo, Miss, Miss Grit Montana. <laughs> Miss Grit Montana. Um, but yeah, I think uh, that's just like my constant daily worry is like making sure my my outer self and my inner self are aligned and I'm not like getting too separate from myself, I guess. And that's mm-hmm. like also, I feel like directly correlated to my happiness. So doing that just makes me um, feel better. <laughs> yeah, that's so self-aware. Do you have any particular <laughs> practices that you have to ground yourself and make sure that you feel in alignment? Um, I guess one thing I I have never really gotten into mantras, but I tried in the new year. Um, I just wanted to like do at least one new thing in the new year, and um, something I I've been telling myself whenever I get like anxious or 
it can happen either way. Like um, if I feel like I'm a lesser person or if I'm like feeling like really like I'm a hot shit or something, <laughs> I'll like make sure I'll just like remind myself like I'm a neutral being, like I'm a neutral person. Um, I think often I, when I'm feeling really anxious, I often feel like I'm not worthy or, um, you know, not capable of like being liked by people. And so I think um, mm. just reminding myself that I am like a, a neutral being and I, I, I um, like can forgive myself and I can also like um, have like the confidence to like take up space as well and like not be too worried, I guess. So um, that's, yeah, that's one thing I've been, I've been doing. It's so interesting because that seems so aligned with the idea of the cyborg as a neutral, hmm. inanimate uh, being that you can pro- you can project emotions or feeling onto, and you can build hmm. into whatever you want it to be. Uh, it, it feels very resonant in that way when I'm thinking about other songs from your album, and. The way they keep saying that you come back to your your neutrality oddly mm. reminds me a lot of Buddhist thinkings mm. where you're trying where when you meditate, you're emptying out and everything is sort of coming back to um, this notion of there's no good or bad mm-hmm. and there's only yeah. what exists and that yeah. things always kind of level out. Like we say that something is good, but we don't know. Maybe it's maybe it maybe it's not, or something bad could turn out to be a yeah. blessing. Yeah, totally. I like really. I I never really studied Buddhism like formally, but my um, family does like have. I think they follow and believe in like a lot of Buddhist beliefs, just like not super organized about it. But um, yeah, I think that's like such a powerful thing to like follow. And also like, it always calms my anxiety whenever I feel myself like, uh, just having like, like, like thought after thought after thought, just like reminding myself that like, this world is all like about perception and like illusions. And it's really like, we're all, yeah, neutral beings. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm going to be thinking about that <laughs> after this, long after this interview. Um, tell me about your parents. You are half Korean. Yeah. I'd love to hear about your upbringing and I'd love to hear how you connect with your heritage in that way and, you know, both aspects of it. Yeah, I kind of have, yeah, I guess every Asian American has just like a totally unique story. So it's always like crazy talking like with everyone. But um, yeah, I grew up half Korean. My dad's Korean and my mom is like American, but with uh, Irish roots. And uh, I grew up in this suburb called Gross Point. It's right right outside Detroit, um, Detroit, Michigan. And it's pretty, growing up, it was a pretty conservative, like white neighborhood. Um, I think it's maybe gone a little bit more moderate like these days but still pretty conservative at least in my head um and yeah it was always really strange growing up it gave me like along with being mixed race like um like because being mixed race is already like a mindfuck on, on its own so like growing up in that environment was really hard and I don't I I, I hold no blame really for anyone except for like white supremacy because like I uh my parents did everything they could and everything to like help us feel um like comfortable and my 
my mom would come to school during Lunar New Year and teach all my classmates about Lunar New Year. And it was like, um, yeah, that, that was like a, a really like beautiful thing. But yeah, it, it just couldn't really help the the feeling of like alienation from classmates and stuff and kind of just not really having people like see you for half of yourself, you know, like you have your American like gross point identity. Um, but a lot of your classmates don't really understand the rest of your, of your identity. And so that's like, that's kind of huge, honestly. Um, just like not being able to see someone fully. Um, and I was thinking about this today, like I keep in contact with some friends on Instagram from, um, like high school or earlier. And, um, like there, there were other people of color who went to school with me, but, um, it was so scattered and like, uh, you know, rare that we never really got to like formally bond on those things. So like sometimes catching up with people from like back in my early days was like really strange because like we, we didn't really even get to see each other for like what we were, even though we had this thing that we could bond on. And I, it, it does make me sad a little bit to think about it, but, um, yeah, I guess it, it all contributed to like my perspective on the world, I guess. And, um, I, I still like value, um, growing up definitely in that, in those circumstances. Yeah. Cause we were all trying so hard to assimilate. Yeah. We yeah. Trying so hard to fit in. Yeah. My, um, yeah, my dad, uh, came over for, from Korea when he was like, I think six years old. Um, and so him and his family, like went uh moved to Detroit and uh my dad went to kindergarten not speaking any English and mm. like I can't even imagine like <laughs> what that was even like. So just the amount of like aggressive assimilation, like is yeah, it was very, very uh evident growing up for me yeah. and yeah, definitely my dad. But Yeah. Do you so have family what, in Korea? Yeah, I do. Um, not super close, but um, I, I I went to go visit Korea once. My my family, my my parents and my sisters lived in Korea for um, like a few years before I was born. But then I I had never been back um, or been there ever. So I went one time uh, a few years ago, like before the pandemic, and I stayed with a uh, uncle or yeah yeah an uncle and. Um, it was, yeah, it was kind of strange because I just went by myself and I didn't really, it was like monsoon season two and it was like raining and like, it was just, it was kind of a strange moment. Like I, I was back or I was there in Korea for the first time and yeah, it's just kind of a Wow, weird. you went by yourself. Yeah. Cause I went, um, I went, I did a study abroad thing in Shanghai, um, over the summer for one year in, at NYU and, um, I just tacked it on to that, to that, uh, semester. So. Wow. Yeah, just for a few days, though. It's kind of weird. <laughs> wow. I always feel like it's such an intimate experience when you travel alone. Yeah. Your experience yeah. of a place. Totally. It was a little bit too much, I think. I almost wish that I I went with, like, I don't know, maybe my family would have been nice. But, mm -hmm. yeah, it was kind of a strange experience, definitely. Yeah. What was coming up for you when you were there? I think it was just, like, I'd, I definitely just felt like such a foreigner and like I am a foreigner of course but it's like I was looking for some sort of connection I think just because like you know of course my, my dad was born there and um I have family there but I think I wasn't super prepared for like how 
I like actually existed in that context, I think. So I was like, it was, a, it was definitely a, a learning experience for me. It was, it was really, it was fun though, but it, it was yeah. like shocking at the same time. <laughs> yeah. You have a song on your album that is, mm-hmm. it's yeah, cyborg yeah. in Korean <laughs> and it's beautiful. It has, it has, is it you speaking over the beat? Yeah. Or, oh yeah. Can you talk about that? I've been so curious about it and what it means to you. Yeah. I started learning Korean um, over the pandemic. Um, it's just something that I've always really wanted to do. And I feel like language is such a important thing for like understanding a culture. Um, it's just like a entirely like different perspective on, on like things. So I just felt like it was really important for me. And, um, also my grandparents, like their English is like, isn't so great like these days. So I've been really wanting to learn and try to speak with them, which is really hard, but yeah, I, uh, um, I don't know. I just really wanted to like document my experience of like learning Korean. And so, um, yeah, taking that song and ha- working with a translator and like having someone help me kind of um, rewrite these like follow the cyborg lyrics in Korean, um, which is something that I've, I felt really passionate about doing. And um, just like, yeah, it was just like a fun like thing for myself and uh, memory to like keep recorded and online. <laughs> it's great. I love that Thank that you. the I love that that the cyborg has that dimension about them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Processing new languages and stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um so I know that you are you have a huge interest in cybernetics, which I did oh, not yeah? know what it was until I looked it up. And you're Wait, I don't know who, if I know what it is. Oh, I just I read it in an interview. It was like <laughs> They're they're really big into cybernetics, and I was like, "Whoa, let's 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 look I, it up again." No, I don't know. <laughs> oh, it's the science of communications and automatic control systems in both machines and living things. Okay, that gotcha, seems right. Gotcha, gotcha. That seems right. <laughs> um, and like we've been talking about so much, I feel like this aspect of where technology and creativity collide is so in the conversation right now because AI mm. is becoming more and more of a thing. And I was yeah. wondering how you feel about the rise of AI in our cultural creativity and how it feels like yeah. uh, we can use it as a tool or something that could eclipse us eventually. Yeah. It's just really funny because like, this is like what all the the movies leading up to this point are like this is I feel like this is the beginning of the end you know (laughs) like these AIs are gonna take over but um (laughs) yeah I don't know I guess what how I feel about it right now is like um it's kind of just like a spectacle at this point like all this AI art is like cool because of the fact that it was made by a computer but it doesn't really have anything else that I'm interested in besides the fact that it was made by a computer. So it's like, yeah, these it can do cool tricks, but um, I think it's still like the human um, emotion or thought that's going to like really 
connect to people and um, at least yeah. when it comes to like art and stuff. So yeah, I don't really know. It's uh yeah, it's a it's a weird thing that's happening, but it, it's almost like we're um uh we're like letting the prophecy come true by being like, oh my god, AI, no <laughs> monsters. <laughs> have, have you ever messed around with Mid Journey or any of those AI generators? No, oh, no, it's so I have not. funny. <laughs> <laughs> like the ones where you can type in like random words and then it like comes up with a picture like depicting it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it sounds crazy. My, my bandmates in San Fermin are obsessed with it. And they just, yeah. our group chat is <laughs> a horrific place, but it's full of, <laughs> it's full of like, look, I looked up San Fermin on tour in a sprinter van and <laughs> yeah. it is eerily accurate it has like really yeah i mean it's so funny because san Fermin um is a very diverse band it's got like a black guy and like an asian girl and like a couple hoppas and stuff and all the people that mid journey generates are like these ethnically ambiguous people (laughs) and the lighting of it feels like a renaissance painting it's like it's but but the thing is you know that something's off because the facial expressions are very oh, yeah. unidentifiable. Like the emotion that it's sort of like, I, oh, I, weird. I'm, I'm making a face to Margaret that where I feel like I've just been punched in the face. It's uh, <laughs> it. That's the one aspect of it that I'm not sure how long it's going to take to generate confusion or, yeah joy or something because it's so unique to each person yeah totally and actually even i was i like listening to like podcasts on like psychology and stuff and i and like i feel like even humans are bad at telling each other when we're like how like when someone's confused or when someone's happy or when someone's mad you know it's like how can how can a machine do it if we even can't do it yet so oh yeah exactly it is fascinating which is that something that you have any interest in exploring in your music like any sort of ai i don't know that sounds scary <laughs> to me <laughs> i think um i think i'll try i'll try my i mean it is nice honestly like um having the there's like a lot of plugins where you can have someone or have the computer uh automatically like master your your music which i feel that like honestly great to me <laughs> right i know like especially for if if we're not getting paid like as artists then we need like tools to help us cut the cost yeah we can get whatever hand. we can take whatever we yeah. get <laughs> yeah exactly but um yeah some of that stuff is just interesting yeah <laughs> i don't know dude a mastering engineer would be great Right. Like, yeah. Sorry, mastering engineers listening. (laughs) But if you think about it, like built-in drum loops and like places like Splice and even synthesizers are a form Mm -hmm. of AI. It's like, yeah, they're all they already come with presets that can be manipulated depending on whether you want more or less of something. So hopefully, we'll still be holding the reins. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the thing when it comes down to it. It's all about like, um, the responsibility of like people that are making these products is like, we need to be making tools and technology that are gonna, you know, do people good and not yeah. like focusing on making these like monsters and like just machines to do cool tricks or like take us to space when we like don't even 
have things like figured out here. It's like we need to make useful tools and technology, guys. So yeah, really. <laughs> This has been such an inspiring conversation and I'm, I'm going to take it with me throughout the rest of the week. Oh. I so appreciate you taking time to talk to me and I just can't wait to see what's next for you. Oh, I am such a big fan. And so this was so, this was so amazing. So thank you. Oh, thanks, Margaret. Thank you so much again to Margaret for joining us on the show today. You can find them on Instagram at Miss underscore Grit. And their most recent album, Follow the Cyborg, is available everywhere now. Please subscribe, follow, and rate the podcast on whatever platform you listen to. Your engagement really, really helps us make the show better and gets it out to more ears and eyes and hearts. We absolutely love hearing from you. Tell us what you think about the show. Give us an alternative to the golden shower and who you'd like to hear about in future episodes. You can DM us on Instagram at goldenhourpod or email us at goldenhourwithk at gmail.com. Golden Hour is created by me and produced and edited by Dave Yim, proudly part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Thank you so much for listening. Can't wait to see you next time. Bye! Hey, Sharon. Hey, Remen. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Remen and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah. Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lun Yang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. Modern Minorities.